electric vehicles are all the rage, but will a broken EV supply chain short-circuit their future? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. It's becoming increasingly clear that the future of driving in America lies in electric vehicles. The Biden administration has set a goal of EVs accounting for half of all U.S. new car sales by 2030. The state of California's even more drastic mandate calls for all new vehicles sold in the state to be electric or plug-in hybrid by 2035. And every major automaker is somewhere on that path today. But can we get there in time? Or will supply chain problems choke off progress? On this episode, we talk with Rohit Makaria, President and Chief Operating Officer of SES, a developer of lithium metal batteries for EVs and other applications. He'll tell us whether there are enough raw materials available today to produce EV batteries and vehicles at the rapid pace set by industry and government. And if not, what needs to be done to ensure that EVs achieve their full potential. How do we manage a closed-loop battery supply chain? Here's my conversation with Rohit Makaria. Rohit Makaria, welcome to the show. Hi, Bob. Thanks. Rohit, how do you view the electric vehicle battery supply chain as it exists right now? The battery industry has uh, has grown a lot, especially, and it has grown with lithium-ion. You know, lithium-ion was introduced, what, in 2001 by Sony. And since then, almost every device we use from cameras to cell phones to cars is lithium-ion. So the whole battery industry, including the electric vehicle industry, is really centered around the lithium-ion supply chain. And when you think about lithium-ion, of course, a lot goes into it from components to processing of materials and, and even before that, mining of these materials. And a lot of this is spread out all over the world. But really, the epicenter has been chi- uh, China, Korea, and Japan, and Asia really as the epicenter of the birth of the bat- lithium-ion battery industry. In more recent years, China is becoming the dominant supplier and supply chain sort of control entity where all of the materials like lithium, nickel, cobalt, graphite, and then components like electrolyte cell manufacturing, a lot of that is happening in China, followed closely by Korea, and then Japan as well. Now you start to see that Europe and North America are starting to play a role, but very nascent still. But if I was to focus on one thing or or call out one thing, it would have to do with the raw materials and the metals that go into making the batteries, lithium, mm-hmm. nickel, cobalt, and then even carbon-like, even a, a graphite are sort of key materials that are part of the supply chain today. Right. So on one hand, you have increasing demand as EVs, electric vehicles become more popular. On the other hand, you have a number of obstacles and disruptions to the supply chain that is making it difficult to fulfill that demand. What are some of the problems and obstacles that EV supply chains are facing right now that does make it difficult to do that? In terms of supply chain difficulties, I would put them in two buckets. One, 
It has to do with you know, what the demand calls for and what is available in that time frame. That, that's the sort of the first bucket. And the second bucket is where do you get these materials from? So as an example, um, as EV demand soars, and especially um, as EV demand soars in North America and really all around the world, with China being the biggest market, there's going to be a lot of demand for lithium. And these are lithium-ion batteries after all, mostly speaking. We at SCS make lithium metal batteries, but at the end of the day, this is all lithium. And so lithium is going to be in high demand. Um, there's general agreement that better part of decade, and some organizations believe really even into the next decade, that lithium supply is not going to be coming online as quickly as the demand requires it to. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that issue. And then there are some other issues as well with other metals, like cobalt has its own set of issues in terms of where it comes from. It comes from Democratic Republic of Congo, and there's some governance issues there. Nickel is sort of in a similar boat where there seems to be a gap for nickel as well. So there's this demand and gap issue with these key raw materials. And then secondly, the geography, you know, the, the geopolitical nature is, is quite critical as well. When most of these metals are mined all really in the all around the world, but primarily South America, Australia, and some in Asia, but most of it finds its way into China for processing of intermediate materials and, and then components finally that go into a battery. And as anyone knows today, each country is trying to create create its own supply chain, U.S. and North America included. And so there's a lot of activity around localization and also incentives like the Inflation Reduction Act that, frankly, I believe is being signed today by the president. It's all designed to deal with how do you localize both supply and manufacturing. So the, the, these will be the two key issues, and that's our bucket them. Big issues. Meanwhile, there's a horrible sticker shock situation here. These prices of these materials are climbing quite a bit, right? Yeah. I mean, and this goes back to the supply and demand issue. There's, there's already, the market's already reacting to it. They see where it's headed, and mm-hmm. you can just see prices even today. So the EV, not just the EV battery supply chain, but I guess the EV supply chain in a larger sense, it sounds like others have said this as well, that as it currently consists, it's not sufficient to meet the targets for EV sales that President Biden and others have set for something like 50 percent of all vehicle sales in the U.S. to be electric vehicles by the year 2030. Is it the case that the EV supply chain, as it currently exists, just can't deliver on that promise? Yeah, there's, there's a healthy dose of skepticism, for sure, from industry insiders and experts and, and people who are really familiar with this industry and the supply chain. But that does not mean that it's impossible. That does not mean it's impossible. For President Biden and this administration, you have to give them credit that now with the Inflation Reduction Act, they've definitely put the pieces in place to be able to try to meet that target. EVs are expensive. They have, they have provided in this act a lot of incentives for consumers where you can get up to $7,500 credit on, on buying a car, which, which quickly gets it to come with parity with, with internal combustion engines. So consumers are incentivized to buy it. And then there's also similar incentives for larger trucks, 
up to $40,000. And then there's a supply chain incentives, both on the OPEX side and the CAPEX side, to make these batteries and manufacture them in North America. And, and then supply chain, there's a lot of incentive to form your supply chain either in the U.S. or with countries that we do free trade. But then there's also the flip side of, of this equation where the U.S. and this particular bill does not want materials and components coming from foreign entities of concern. They haven't quite called our regions or countries, but that's what they've mentioned. And all of this really takes effect starting in 2023 really quickly. There's a little bit of a disconnect because 2023 is right around the corner, and anyone who knows who's worked on supply chain, mining, setting up factories, it takes a bit. So even with this bill, there's a healthy dose of skepticism, but this really starts to point you in the right direction, provides all of the incentives, both for the consumer side, so for the demand as well as the supply side. Of course, you could do all you want to do in order to incentivize consumers to buy these vehicles, but you do have to address it at the production end and the sourcing end to make those vehicles available in the first place, right? So to what extent is the Inflation Reduction Act? I mean, you did say that there are some CapEx and, and OpEx incentives there that really will, you believe, cause companies to make some major changes upstream to the point where they will be able to make enough vehicles to meet the increased demand? Yeah, I do believe at least part of that, which is that it will incentivize companies to accelerate localization or at least accelerate sourcing such that it's coming from North America or, or other countries that we have free trade agreements with. So it's going to accelerate that. So the kind of incentives that are in place, let's say, for example, is that on, on the CapEx side, if you're building a, a factory, there's incentives where you get $35 per kilowatt hour worth incentive, which is a big discount, by the way, without going into details, right? And then there's in, other incentives such as if a automaker was to manufacture his batteries in the U.S., then you can get a lot of credit for that, or your, or your consumers, your vehicles would be eligible for the kind of credits that I mentioned earlier, around $7,500 off for a new purchase, etc. And so this is, this is kind of like a waterfall. You start with at least 50% of materials that are sourced from U.S., North America, or free, ones that we have free trade agreements with, and then it, it goes up to 100% by 2029. So there's some ramp that's built into it. And these kind of credits will definitely accelerate these sort of localization and sourcing plans. Mm -hmm. But to the extent that actually they will be ready in time, I think that's very much in flux right now to to say that, that for sure. But not just ready in time, but is it actually realistic to believe that even at some point in the distant future that the entire EV supply chain can be local and domestic. I mean, won't we continue to require sourcing in other countries, at least some aspect of these vehicles? Yeah, my gut says that you're right. My gut says that you're right. But there have been examples. I mean, especially you have to look to China to see what they have done. They have been at it for 20 years now with with long-term plans. And when you look at what they have done in terms of their investments, both locally and outside the country, they have been a good example of, of how you could get source all of your materials and then manufacture all of the batteries and EVs locally. So, so there's certainly precedent for that from China. And for U.S., I mean, there's nothing that fundamentally is not possible. It's a matter of political will. It's a matter of incentives. It's a matter of policy. It's not beyond the scope of what is possible. But if you were 100%, would I put my money on that, that 100% of the sourcing and the manufacturing for EVs would happen in the, in the United States or this market? That takes a lot. Isn't there also the question of 
risk mitigation against disruption that arises from sole sourcing strategies, no matter where it is. I mean, wouldn't we think that companies, smart companies in the future might want to develop at least dual sourcing, some domestic, some not domestic, sure. so as to spread the risk around? Sure, absolutely. There's always a flip side to this, right, which is that as we try to localize, as we try to source local materials, there are other parts of the world that are building partnerships, or most recently, the biggest battery company, CATL, opened their second facility in Europe, in Hungary. And there's rumors that they might cancel their plant in the U.S. So, so that's mm-hmm. a net negative for the U.S. And there's a practical issue of where are these materials, these re- natural resources, where do they reside? They may reside in countries that are outside of the U- you know, outside of North America or the ones we have free trade agreements with. And then for, for someone like SES, we have customers like General Motors, Hyundai, Honda. These are all companies that have a huge market in North America. But then there's also Asia as a whole and then China, which is a huge, the biggest EV market now and, and in the future. It's very likely that most automakers, most battery manufacturers are going to have to develop strategies around supply chain and sourcing that are going to be regional. If not, I mean, and and dual source is sort of more nuanced, but at least regional. What about reconsidering the very construction and content of EV batteries and EV vehicles in general? Moving away from lithium-ion, moving to different types of metals and materials, is there some promise there that we could address in future? Yeah, the promise really comes from the from technology. It is widely understood that lithium-ion batteries are still very much on a, on a path to get better, which means get lighter, get smaller, get cheaper. And when you take, when you especially make them lighter and cheaper, mostly you're, you're also taking mass out, which means that you are using less material. And so a lot of the technology is driven to do that. And at SES, for example, we work on lithium metal, which is precisely the goal. You know, we, we make smaller, cheaper, lighter batteries. And this, this is just one example. There are other examples, such as there, there's more and more silicon being added into batteries along with graphite, which establishes similar goal as lithium metal, albeit incrementally. So so the battery trajectory as a whole is, is just going to get cheaper, lighter, and smaller. So that's happening, but that's driven by technology. And when you take mass out, you use less material. But frankly, when you look at the demand curve and the growth, a lot of this is factored in, and your demand is still going to be extremely high and accelerating, and, and supply chain issues will persist. How do you envision the notion of a so-called closed-loop battery supply chain for EVs? What, what would that look like in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. Batteries, when they use them in electric vehicles, especially, they're designed to get 200,000, sometimes 250,000 miles. The warranty on these vehicles are 100,000 miles at most, and then a lot of these vehicles come offline before they reach end of life. So these batteries really have a lot of life and juice left in them when they come into the line. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of companies that are gearing up to use these batteries for what they call second life use. And then there's also the matter of recycling. You can recycle a lot of these materials that are in the battery, especially lithium, nickel, cobalt, the materials that are expensive. There's a lot of incentive to recycle them and reuse them. There's definitely that. And there are recycling companies that have been set up 
all over the world, including North America. And there, and there are recycling battery companies that are bringing in new technology to make recycling even more affordable and, and sort of directly go from recycling these materials to make battery components that can go into batteries. So the incentives are there just economics-wise, and it just makes a lot of sense. You don't want to put all these battery and these materials into the ground or throw them someplace. There's a lot of uh, value in these batteries. So that's one aspect. Yeah. The second, second piece is we, we also believe that to do that, you have to know the state of the health of the battery really, really, really well. This is something that's overlooked in batteries. When you understand the state of the health of the battery as it's being run or through the end of its life, you can actually open up new business models and really amp up this closed loop production to your benefit. All these are such great solutions, but again, even though the Inflation Reduction Act calls for action very quickly, it sounds like a lot of what we're talking about is going to take years to realize. In the meantime, do you think we're going to have something of a struggle meeting EV demand before we finally get all of these solutions into place? It's not a simple answer, and frankly, I can't look into the future. But what I can say is it feels like 2025 is an inflection point. It feels that way from, from two perspectives. One, the demand taking off. And also, this is a point in time where unless new resources come online, it would be very difficult to meet targets, irrespective of, of that. Well, Rohit Makaria of SES, I want to thank you for painting a picture for us of the current EV supply chain, VV battery supply chain, and how it might change and be improved in the years to come in order to meet demand for this very important area of production. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. That was my conversation with Rohit Makaria of SES, talking about the EV battery supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.